taking a look at the gospel passage this morning. Who first told this story? Who witnessed the events and then shared the experience with others? The disciples shared many stories of the events that they participated in with Jesus, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, Sermon on the Mount, the Transfiguration, the Last Supper. The disciples were there. They told others what happened, and the writers of the Gospels put the stories together, shaped in a way that would be most inspiring for their particular audience. Matthew had a strong Jewish orientation. Mark, on the other hand, was written for Gentiles who were removed from Judean culture. The disciples told the stories that became the Gospels. But who first told this story? The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. For 40 days, he does not eat. He is weak, just holding on, when Satan arrives to tempt him. First, Satan conjoles Jesus to turn stones into loaves of bread. Next, he places Jesus on the highest part of the temple and urges him to step off, to take a fall to death and let the angels save him. And finally, Satan takes Jesus to the top of a high mountain and promises him all the kingdoms of the world if he will just worship Satan. And though, in his humanity, Jesus is desperately weak from hunger, he has gone 40 days without eating. Still, he resists Satan once, twice, three times. Jesus will listen to, he will be led by, he will worship God alone. So who first told this story? No disciples witnessed this event. No one had firsthand knowledge to share this story, to hand it down to others and still to others who would write it down and others who would then include it in our scripture. No one is present except Jesus. Jesus must have been the one to first tell this story. His words bear a lot of weight. The message is holy and the message is integral to our humanity. In total, throughout the four Gospels, Jesus performs 37 miracles, 18 of which appear in this Gospel, in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus performs these miracles in part to heal, in part to get people's attention, to draw them in, to get them listening so that they will hear the Gospel message. And by performing miracles, Jesus shows us that miracles can happen. Yet in this significant passage this morning, no miracles occur. Jesus' temptation in the wilderness happens at the beginning of his ministry, just after he is baptized by John the Baptist. Here, before the miracles begin, Jesus introduces the heart of our faith. Jesus is showing us the dignity in our human life. Jesus is weak from hunger, a decidedly human predicament. When he is tempted, 
and resists. Our faith does not rest in miracles. Our faith is not about witnessing or even about petitioning God for miracles, even though we all do it from time to time. Our faith is about trusting God, who loves us in all our humanity. Our faith is about trusting God to be God. Why do we worship? Well, because we're trying to figure this thing out. Our faith, how we are meant to live our lives, we are here seeking God, seeking love, seeking truth, seeking the peace which surpasses all understanding. We are trying to trust God to be God, allowing God to lead us in our perspectives and opinions, in our actions and decision-making. When we open our hearts to the spoken word, to scripture and preaching and music and prayers, we are allowing ourselves to be enlightened, to be transformed. Sometimes the balm in the familiar words is enough to quiet our minds and open our hearts. Why do we worship together? Well, because of synergy. Because we are all so much more together than we are as individuals. When others are seeking alongside us, they are acknowledging and affirming our own seeking. The synergy builds. Ideas spark, desires grow, and relationships deepen because of a common desire to understand our relationship with God, to understand how to live with God, how to live as we are meant to live. What do we know about our humanity? We are individuals only insofar as our role in community. Through the preparations and components of worship, communications, bulletins, altar guild, lighting, sound, ushers, organists, choristers, acolytes, lectors, preachers, Eucharistic ministers, through all of the components, we recognize our dependence on one another. And then we stand up together to affirm our faith, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. We stand up together, supporting one another, acknowledging that we are all human. We need one another. We are all trying to figure out faith in life. And we are covenanting to love and support one another on this journey. Why do we worship? Why do we worship together? I have one last question, but let me preface it with some interesting data. Prior to COVID, our average Sunday attendance was about 350. Now remember, prior to COVID, we did not have streaming. 350 was our average attendance all in person. 
Now our average in-person attendance is about 250. However, our average attendance, including those who are watching online, is 425. That's good news. We are reaching a lot of people, more than pre-COVID. And I'm glad, of course, that we have streaming technology so that those who are ill or have mobility issues or are traveling or those who follow St. Paul's from other parts of the country all are able to join in worship. It's good news. But for those who are able to get to church, I offer one last question to consider. Why worship together in person? Because Eucharist is the heart of our community. We all know why we gather around the dinner table with family and friends. Because the table is the place where we develop and nurture relationships. We share stories and solve problems. We love and enjoy and support one another. The meal is nourishment for the body and the soul. Well, this table takes our nourishment to a new level. We all come to this table for the same reason, seeking and giving thanks for Christ's love and mercy, seeking Christ's inspiration for how to live in this world. When we come to this table, let's be aware of those who are sharing the meal with us, the community that surrounds us, embraces us. We are people in relationship, seeking, serving, loving God together, family in Christ for one another. This meal creates, sustains, and nurtures community. I hope all of you will join us during this season of Lent. We gather on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, and on Wednesdays we'll begin at 6 p.m. right here in St. Martin's with Eucharist. At 6.30, we'll share a simple supper, and at 7, we'll discuss Thomas Merton's book, The Living Bread. More worthwhile than giving up something during Lent is engaging in community, in worship, prayer, reading, and reflection. Join us on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, where together we will learn how to trust God to be God. Amen.